Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This has become probably the, the biggest part of the trade for the South American cartels. The Mexican cartels, in general, control most of the drug trade in America, which was the traditional part, but the South Americans are making the most money out of Europe. Out of all of them, the Clan del Golfo, they're, they're the single biggest distributors of cocaine in the world. They're not going to produce too much. As much as they can produce will be sold. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The conglomerate of mobs who ordered two tonnes of cocaine nabbed off the Irish coast last week is yet to be firmly established, but what is known is that it was shipped by the Clan del Golfo, Colombia's largest cartel. 6,000 strong and based in the jungles near the border with Panama and the Caribbean and Pacific coasts, The cartel are a massive military armed with high-powered weapons and responsible for thousands of deaths, the corruption of police and politicians and the rape of young children. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the notorious outfit who shipped 20 tonnes of cocaine each month and who ruled the territory once controlled by the infamous Pablo Escobar. We talk about its leaders and the close relations it has forged with the European super cartel, including Daniel Kinahan's mob. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Is my ponytail straight? It's ponytail is quite straight now. Is it? Yeah, yeah. There was a couple of mishaps there, wasn't there? There was, and yeah, it's an uncomfortable moment for me. To, to, to like to well, be I asked advice on hair. I was hair. looking in the screen over there and then I kept coming out with it over the side yeah. of my head and everything. Just to be asked advice on ladies' hair. Yeah. It's not my, uh, so much can go wrong and so little can go right. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Well, you, you, you're you very quick to give advice and to give opinions <laughs> general, mostly. No, general, general. You come but... across on this as if you're not really judgy and I come across <laughs> as constantly attacking you. So let's just turn the table. <laughs> go for it. Just mm-hmm. go for it. No, no, it looks fantastic. Nicola. No, not well my done. hair. I meant the other thing. What other thing? No, no, I was just, you know, obviously <laughs> you were at a, a concert during the week. Yes. One of the, I suppose, cutting edge 
<laughs> bands that you like, wasn't it? Where, you know, show that you're still got it in terms of youth culture. And, I'm totally hip. <laughs> yeah, totally hip. What were they called? What's, what's this new, this top new band such called? I a problem with them. But Deacon, Deacon Blue. Blue. Deacon Blue. What is so wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with them. But like, if you could think of all the bands in the world, that would be the least cool. They were in the Olympia. They were in the Olympia. Beautiful venue, They're of not course. not that uncool, are they? Well, I mean... Uh, you see, sorry, there's a bit of background here for anyone listening or watching this, right? Yeah. Because many years ago, yeah. I think you got into my car and discovered a CD. <laughs> yeah. And it was many years ago. Yeah. Amongst many that were scattered around the car and it was mm. Rain Town or something. That was a Deacon Blue. Yeah. And you took that from that <laughs> just discovery... To then I arrived into the office to find that I was being dubbed the kind of running the fan club for Deacon Blue. <laughs> yeah. I think you created a poster about me. Yeah. Because um, as far as I can remember, you only had two albums, Deacon Blue and I think you had a Niall Horan album. I did not. Things. It was well before Niall Horan's time. That was well before. But you have bought a I'd Niall Horan. You have, you have cool. bought a I, Niall Horan. <laughs> <laughs> you have. I do like Taylor Swift. No, I haven't bought an Isle Horan album. I do listen to him on Spotify. <laughs> I haven't bought an album in I don't know how long. And I, I'm like, I'm self-professed, not exactly. I mean, there's so many cool uh, bands music. from the 80s that you could have yeah. stuck with. Like or, who? No, I told you I'm going to go to the Water But like Boys. New Order on or something. I like know, that actually, yeah. I'm sorry I didn't but go you to missed New Order. Just instead, so save because my... you save your fun for Deacon Blue. Well, it was good, the concert. Very it was good. actually good. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, I'll sort of tell you this and maybe I'll get attacked on social media, but Go I'll on. tell you anyway. Well, I won't if they're... Go on. Anyway, so there I was, right? And um, we arrived for the concert and Eamon in the Olympia yeah. brought us, walked us into a lovely box, yeah. which was practically on the stage. Yeah. Fabulous. It's straight um, up. Really nice, right? So yeah. we're really delighted. Could yeah. practically reach out and touch Ricky Ross, right? Every every young woman's dream. <laughs> Who hasn't been his age? He has a touch, just a touch. Anyway, he's good arms though. Yeah. Like arms. Yeah. But um so we're there, right? So we're up on a height look looking down over everybody. And I had thought on the way in, I said, this place is gonna be just wall to wall women yeah. of a certain age, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was very surprised that it wasn't. There was loads of guys there and women, there was yeah. couples, there was all sorts of groups of people, everything it was very diverse yeah. and but I did think... Not that diverse now. I'd say there was not, <laughs> not, not a good chunk of under 25s. There wasn't a single person, I'd say, yeah. under the age. Well, this is my point. Yeah. I did look down and think, wow. And I had a conversation with my friend and I said, we must have been really young when we were following Deep Blue, right? <laughs> and we worked out that we were about 14 or 15 yeah. when we went to see them yeah. in 1989 in the National Stadium. Would that be right? Could be, yeah. Anyway. And we recalled that we reminisced on it, and she agreed that yes, we must have been the younger end of the fan group <laughs> then, yeah, right? So we sort of smugly, we yeah. smugly sat back and went, "Yeah, we were just like you know the Deacon Blue babies before our time." Yeah, kind of thing. yeah. And then I realized, shit, they are the same age as me. Yeah, those people with which, the grey hair. Which I did have the same experience going into the uh, the getting the COVID vaccine. So where you're in your cohort, which was yeah. only a three or four year cohort, was it? Yeah. And just looking around thinking, God, all these people look really old. I know, I know. And then getting back into my car and looking in the mirror and thinking, yes, yeah, so I do. Well, that was exactly what happened to me. Yeah. I, I just had this moment of realization that 
oh my God, no, 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 we're all the same age. And I, but then what I kind of, I took it to a next step about men. Yeah. And in fairness, you guys don't tend to dye your hair or no. do any Botox things or makeup or, you know, I yeah. mean, some do, maybe not the Duke of Blue fans. <laughs> no, but no. Yeah. So, you know, then the women looked a little bit. A little bit younger. Maybe a little bit, but only yeah. a little bit. Mm. Um. So, yeah, it's a shocking realization when you realize that you're what your kids call old. Yeah. you're. Yeah. I still identify as. I still look at. 26, I, I'd say. I still look at uh, TV programs and I identify with the teenage character, yeah. not with the parents or anything. <laughs> just so do I, yeah. actually, yeah. 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 Like if it's a high school sort of drama, I get into that. You think the parents are real oldies? Yeah, so. leave yeah. them alone. So we're all the same then. But anyway, no, we're not no, all the same. It was a good gig. Like it was yeah. a good gig, and I, 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 I'm not apologising for it. <laughs> no, I just no. don't understand why you're so. No, it's just amusing. Mean that. and nasty. To no, because I know you've got a. Uh, 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 a I told podcast, you about a it. podcast on Tupac coming up. <laughs> and I Tupac asked, Shakur. Yeah. Did you know, did you ask him any hip hop questions? I did have I, to read up on a bit, did of you? It, I have it's, to say. It's, yeah. it's like, it's music with people talking, basically. That's, that's hip hop. But they all went to war. It's quite interesting. <laughs> um, Doug Zendry came on about it. Yeah. He had, he, he knew all about it because he actually covered it for the New York Times touch in more, those years. Touch more edgy than Duke Deacon Blue. And we had a conversation, by yeah. the way, about the nicknames because yeah. their nicknames are all Puffy mm. and yeah, this yeah. one and that yeah. one. Their nicknames are really, oh, oh, Baba, Dada Bear and all this. Yeah, yeah. They're very sort of different Kinder, I would have thought, than the nicknames we were talking about at <laughs> yeah, the, the 50th. Yeah. Um, we'll come to that because we have to, we yeah. have to go around that. Now, I have to put my glasses on because I'm just a young lady with bad now, there's eyes. There's definitely out. somebody going to email in and say, what are you waffling on about Deacon Blue for 10 minutes before you get to the... <laughs> well, it's maybe <laughs> our joke, is it? it? It possibly is. It possibly is because somebody bought me the ticket and when the concert came up, I thought to myself, I have to tell Niall that. Yeah, yeah, You've gone yeah. so over the top. Like so completely and utterly over-exaggerated you know finding of that album. Yeah. Or can you think of what band is the least cool band? <laughs> is it them? Well, in my opinion, I'm okay. sure there's... People like even, email in and tell us. Yeah. Um, tell us to stop waffling. Now. So crime. Crime. We're going to talk about the Gulf clan. Clan del Golfo, rather. Um, we're going to talk about the cartel behind... The shipment that was uh, uh, apprehended off. off the Cork and the Wexford Waterford coasts there last week. There's people before the courts. We're not going to go into the details about them. But uh, we are going to talk about this enormous cartel which sent it. Yeah. I mean, its it's, I think like what you can see is that the, um, the, the European drugs trade has become probably the the biggest and most important market for the South American cartels. Even today, and we're recording on Friday, <clears throat> yeah. um, Europol have just put out a press release just this morning about um, uh, 16 arrests um, in in Brazil yeah. um, involving a, a Serbian gang, basically a Balkans gang, as they're, as they're called. And, you know, a major, major operation. So this has become probably the... the the biggest part of the trade for the South American cartels, the Mexican cartels in general control most of the drug trade in America, which was the traditional part. But the South Americans are making the most money out of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of all of them, the Clan del Golfo 
they're, they're the single biggest distributors of cocaine in the world. And so they've become uh, Europe and the connections have become a way in which they can, I suppose, have their own autonomy from the, the Mexican cartels. Now, we have seen some Mexican cartel involvement in particularly in, in, in Holland. Yeah. But generally, it's the South Americans and the Europeans have been dealing directly. And this shipment, by all accounts, <clears throat> that was found off the coast of Cork is, is, you know, it was obviously a huge record for us. It was 2.2 tons of cocaine. But, you know, the estimates are that the, the, the Gulf clan are exporting uh, up to 20 tons a month, each month. So that's one-tenth of one month's supply, really. And do you know how many of them there are? Well, I know, I've, I mean, it's thousands, I think, is it? 6,000. 6,000. They believe that there are 6,000 members of the cartel, nearly all armed. Yeah. And that uh, information came from the courtroom yeah. um, in the States where Otoniel, who was the previous leader of it, we'll, we'll go back to him in a minute, but when he was being convicted and sentenced, um, 6,000 of them, they're all like it was established essentially from a military. It is a military. Yeah, I mean... And it operates in this region that's very difficult to access, that um, is a particular part of uh, Colombia where they control the towns. Yeah. I mean, they actually at one point looked for a shutdown in a a number of towns that they control. I mean, I'm talking town cities. They asked for all the businesses to shut down. This is a number of years ago, 2012, I think. Yeah. And those that didn't, they went and assassinated the owners. Yeah, because Colombia, like, obviously the, the cocaine trade became a huge, massive earner in the 1980s. But on the back of that, there was already effectively a civil war in the middle of Colombia. Um, you had uh, FARC, which were a left-wing group who, had, I think at one point, were controlling something like one-third of the land territory in, this, in the country. Um there was, a, you know, thousands and thousands of people killed over a long-running conflict. And in opposition, something in a sort of an equivalent to the North, um, there was uh, counter-revolutionary forces came about, something like the Loyalists, um, basically right-wing guerrilla movements, um, you know, and they, out of that group, those group of right-wing, mil- those militants, um, that's where the Clan del Golfo really originated. Mm-hmm. Because as the conflict went on and then as it sort of died off and there's various peace deals done at various times, these groups didn't disarm. Um, obviously, the, the, the right-wing guerrillas also went on to a full-on war with pa- uh, Pablo Escobar's cartel. And after the end of all of that, really, that's where the, 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 the clan, uh, the Gulf clan, emerged from these heavily armed movements. Um, now, probably unlike uh, Pablo Escobar's, they're different in that they don't control it from the, the production of cocaine from every mm-hmm. single element. So they, I think they have in the jungles the people who produce the basic product, but the Clan del Golfo really um, control it from that point onwards. They control the routes that run through Mexico and into the US as well. Yeah. Um, they wear military uniforms. I mean, they behave like an army. They're fed like an army. They're paid like an army. Yeah, I mean, it's quite an extraordinary structure. Yeah, I mean, they're basically a paramilitary force. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not yeah. dissimilar to 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 what has happened up the north when when these paramilitary groups, the reason for existing, dies off to a degree, but you're still left with a group of 
you know, heavily armed people who have... A str- they started politically. Yeah. And of course, then they needed to be funded. Yeah. And they funded themselves with the cocaine. Because there was, there was money was awash in the centre of yeah. the country. I mean, huge, huge amounts of money in back in those days and still. Um, but I mean, any, any thought of a political movement, they're long gone now. And it's... And it's but now having said that, yeah. the Colombians are trying to bring them to the table in a surrender deal. Yeah. And the government are sort of offering them basically, if you disarm, if you come forward and you sort of turn your back on crime, this sounds almost fantasy to me, but anyway, they're saying to them that they can get lighter prison sentences between six and eight years instead of 35, 40. That uh, after those terms in prison, they do four years restorative work with their victims, um, probably relatives of their victims, both their victims die. Yeah. and that, you know, they're they're trying to destroy these criminal net, net networks and that the those who come to the surrender deal will recognize their crimes, that they'll, you know, as I said, they might meet with families, their victims, they'll hand over their weapons and they will commit to destroying the criminal enterprise yeah. that they are. Now, apparently they're at the table talking about this, yeah. but... Interestingly, I've done a couple of interviews with a guy called Toby Muse, a journalist who's based out there and he's written books and he's very knowledgeable on Colombia. And it's very intricate and long sort of history um, with cocaine as well as everything else. And actually, maybe, Claude, if we think about it next week, we could repost some of them because they are very relevant with all this. And I remember he talked about these peace deals and how, you know, there's so many people that have to be convinced to kind of stop this trade, including the farmers who are in very remote, very impoverished regions where there literally aren't even any roads. There's no education system. There's none of this. And they grow the coca leaves and the coca leaves are carried down the mountains to a trading zone where these cartels then buy them in their thousands of tons and crush them into cocaine. But those farmers were asked again and again to stop producing coca leaves. They were promised that if they, you know, moved to growing bananas or other crops, that they would be helped. They would be given funding for road systems for all the rest of it. And time and again, they seem to have been abandoned. Yeah. Every time they came to the table, there's a lot of sort of history of corruption within the governments and all that. Um, it's, It's very embedded, the corruption and this whole production of cocaine is very embedded. And at the same time, the Garda Siakona have just posted a member of um, of the guards out there to act as a liaison. And at the moment, the law enforcement, if you talk to them, they seem to be quite happy with the way Colombia is helping them. If there's any extradition to be done, they are very much swooping in and giving them up. Um, obviously, Dario Antonia Usaga, David, a.k.a. Otoniel, who was their leader up until he was arrested. Um, He was arrested and given over to the States where he pleaded guilty. Actually, he's doing 45 years concurrent sentences. Um, His trial was an eye opener. There's a lot of information came out of it. But, you know, he's one leader. When you think about even small gangs, I mean, you take an area like Finglas and a yeah. small drug gang there. Yeah. And you, the idea that the leader is taken out, there is going to be one of those five under him that will take over. Yeah. You're looking at a 6,000 strong army. Yeah. Like when do you ever reach a point that there's nobody ready to take over? And of course, somebody has taken over from Othoniel. Um, 
Do you want to go into a bit of his background first, maybe Otoniel? Well, Otoniel, yeah, he 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 was um, started off as a, a paramilitary figure as well. Um, but you see, what happened was, of course, is that that the the, the what came before the, the Gulf Clan were the two major cartels, Medellin Cartel and the uh, the Cali, the Cali Cartel. Sorry, and you know when they got got uh, basically smashed by the the police forces. There was a period of 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 chaos to a degree, and these guys emerged. And Otoniel was um, a very dark and sinister character. I think mm. it's fair to say, um, <clears throat> unlike Pablo Escobar and had it gone before him, who lived very public and extravagant lives. Remember, Pablo Escobar ran for parliament, and you know, lived in a in a in a mansion, and there was loads of footage, and he did interviews, and all of that sort of stuff. Otoniel was a different type of character. He was uh, spent his time in the jungle. I mean, I think his nickname is from Donkey, really, is what because he did go around in donkeys. I mean, he was a hugely wealthy man, but he was a, a, a somebody who really stayed out of the public eye and didn't live an ostentatious life and didn't even spend much time in the city. But the darkness was, I think, come from some of the stuff around being, um, you know, the 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 fact that as a as a grouping that they had a sort of campaign of child sex abuse campaign of rape all of these things went on within that organization um the clan uh, the gulf clan like were responsible for a wave of murders under his uh, leadership um you know assassinating political figures police figures but also mostly within that group so they were a very uh, and civilians. They seem to have really targeted civilians to sort of spread that fear. Yeah, he in particular liked very very young girls. I yeah. mean, I think from speaking with Toby Muse, he spoke about twelve year old girls and all this, and they were brought to him. He travelled around the jungles on the back of a donkey because there is no other way to travel. No. Apparently, these roads or these routes are so old, sort of. Um, Ancient I almost. Mean, and he was he was into witchcraft in a big way. Yeah. I he mean was big into witchcraft and kind of like um rituals and yeah, of course, an absolute odd bod. Yeah, and absolutely uh, uh, uh they 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 murdered a lot of people uh and what they did as well, I think under his 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 direction was they went into this kind of cell structure as well, um, that were they had sort of units taking over different parts of the business. Um, they kept them separate, so there was very little uh, ability of the police force to penetrate. And obviously, they stayed out in the jungles. They didn't. Uh, they they would basically um, hire gangs, even in the cities in Colombia. Um, they'd have they kind of franchise out parts of their business. They give them the backing. That street gang, then, for example, would be in charge of you know, maybe even assassinations, things mm-hmm. that they needed to do. And they would have the backing of the Gulf clan, but they wouldn't um they wouldn't be directed from a central part of the organization. And that allowed them to survive and thrive. And um, there was almost unlike a lot of the cartels in Colombia since Escobar, there's there was uh they grew so big because there was very little infighting in terms of any any sort of dissension and people were were executed. And that allowed them to grow that kind of um Basically, doing what what the Kinnahans to an extent, but also mm-hmm. the IRA had done before them, which is to protect the organisation by kind of outsourcing and allowing these cells to operate uh, independently. Um, but also, what became a big 
a big uh, part of their business was the transnational aspect of the of the group. And, you know, obviously, if you've watched Narcos, you see the sort of, you know, it's a great idea of the progression of, of Coke from Colombia to the US. And in the middle of that came the Mexican cartels who started buying directly from the Colombians and transporting it through Mexico and into, into the US. And the Colombian cartels almost stopped doing it. At one point, they were landing um, planes in, in, in places, off cent- in islands off Central America, but that kind of stopped. But the Colombian cartels had a big interest in Europe um, in two ways. They had, I mean, obviously the top of Colombia comes close to the ocean um, and they were getting routes through Europe. And in order to do that, they were building ties with um, a lot of the, uh, uh, what would become the super cartel, I think. And in particular, the the logistics wing of that, which seems to be run by um, the Balkans groups, really. Well, in actual fact, the um, their territory is a, a, a region called Antiquoia, right? Yeah. Which is over vast sort of mountains in the Uraba region, it's called. Yeah. And it is near the Panama border and the Caribbean and Pacific yeah. coasts, right? Yeah. Now, when Otoniel was eventually arrested, which was just a few years ago, was it October 21? Yeah, it was yeah. October 21, yeah. So he was arrested. Now, 500 uh, officers were involved mm. in that arrest. They had to go right deep into the jungle. How they ever yeah. caught him is yeah. probably somebody eventually uh, snitched on him, really. Yeah. There was 22 helicopters, a huge operation. And at the time of his arrest, the General George Louis Vargas, who was the director of the Colombian National Police, said that members of the Balkan group would travel deep into that jungle to meet yeah. him. Yeah. He specifically picked out the Balkan grouping. And we later, through uh, documents in Europol, were able to uh, you know, join the dots and see that the Balkans group was the one headed by Eden Gasnan. Yes. So essentially, this has been revealed by... You know, by, yeah, it's by in the senior police officers in, in two continents. Yeah, and they were meeting uh, Otoniel's uh, right-hand man, uh, Gassanen, and his associates are meeting his right-hand man. Now, have a go at his name. Well, I'm going to have a go at his, his nickname. No, with... don't. Have a go at the full name <laughs> no. first. Well, you know, I, I, I... Well, I mean, Chiquito Malo is, is what his, his nickname is. And he's now regarded as the head of he the man who took over from Otoniel. Yeah. And he was personally then meeting with Gasolin or Gasolin's closest associates in 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 the jungle. Now just last week he was actually formally sanctioned by the US Treasury Department. Added to that list um where Chiquito Malo was Chiquito Malo which yeah. added to that so list. He's, they're still looking for him. They're still looking for him. And yeah. he's added to that same list that the Kinahans are on. Yeah. The same uh, you know, famous mugshots we have of, of the Kinahans, he's added to that. There's not that, and the same sort of, I can't remember, it's a couple of million dollars anyway, reward for information. And that was along with, I think, nine members of the Sinaloa cartel. And of course, the Sinaloa, and just going back to Mexico briefly, yeah, you talk about the traffickers, they have been concentrating on the US while the Colombians have been focusing yeah. on Europe. They've sort of shorted up between them. But the problem is that obviously... The, it's the Sinaloa who are pumping that fentanyl into the US. Yes. And that's why you're seeing, I mean, they're constantly cracking down on them. They only had um, 
they they got one of uh, Chapo Guzman's sons, Ovidio Guzman Lopez, was extradited yeah. from Mexico after a big shootout, which actually initially lost the lives of maybe 25 military before they went back and got him again. But um, a lot of his sons are part of these Sinaloa cartel that were named along with uh, our pal Chiquito Malo. Yeah. He was the only member of the, the Clan del Golfo that was sanctioned. Um, and yeah, he's there with he's there with, he's there with the Kinhans and various others, but not a lot and our of people. oligarchs and everyone else. No, not a huge amount. Do you know what I thought was interesting as well? I spoke about this General Georges Louis Vargas. You know, yeah. and when the Otaniel was arrested, he also at that point said that um, the laundering of the money from the Clan del Golfo was being done through business people of Lebanese, Arab and Israeli origin, yeah. which again connects this entire and, and the reason why the Americans are so um, interested in shutting down these operations, including the Kinahan one, is because that money is funneling straight into Hezbollah. Yes, yeah, so like exactly. And Hezbollah are, are a long term uh, Enemy of the of the United States, I suppose it's fair to say. So you see this, you know, what did the American government? Why do they care about the Kinnans? You might say, um, you know, it's it's not necessarily because they're the good guys and they don't like <laughs> they don't like baddies. You know, they have their own selfish interests, and part of that is the belief that that um, the South American cartels that money is funding basically terrorism in, mm-hmm. or what they were, you know, guard as terrorism in the Middle East. That's where American interests have been really focused for all of our lives really is, is stabilizing the Middle East, oil, all of those things and um, situation with Israel. So that, that is why, you know, we, we, you know, when you hear the DEA are involved in looking yeah. at an Irish gang, you have to think that there is a reason, a, a selfish reason. And the reason is that this money, this money is washing around the globe um, and that, you know, it's Hezbollah really that are it's helping definitely it. definitely it. I mean, when you look at the numbers there, you have nine Sinaloa members yeah. named and uh, sanctioned and one Clandal Golf. You can yeah. see in fairness to the Americans, the yeah. priority is the fentanyl. It is. That is flooding in and it is killing 100,000 a year. Absolutely. And they're in their 18 to 25 yeah. and, plus and, age groups like... And Young, this, educated people not having a clue they're taking fentanyl, yeah. people taking cocaine, weed, whatever. Yeah. And it's slipping into the whole drug system. It's a huge problem for the health system in the US. It's a huge problem. Uh, it's a huge human cost, of course, as well. It's become a big political issue in the US as well. That's the other thing you have to uh, look at in that the Republican Party are using it um, to, to, you know, to talk about build the wall, the border wall. So it's become a political issue as well as the human issue. Um, the interesting thing was this week that the Sinaloa cartel uh, put up a load of posters. I don't know if you saw this around the place saying we're no longer going to deal in fentanyl. Right. They put them all up. They put them on social media and they hung them around the, the area. Um, obviously coming to the point where they, they've realized that they're attracting too much attention from the US government and it's counterproductive. So they actually 
built these posters and put them up all around the place saying we're no longer going to do it. Like incredible, really. Leave us back up, back away. Just leave, leave us, us alone. just leave us, just leave, we're just going back to cocaine and nobody cares about that. Because, and that is exactly what they're saying. Uh, well, because fentanyl yeah. has become... But that could not be true because fentanyl is really, I mean, it's keeping that, it's, it's highly addictive, well, obviously. Yeah. It's seeping through the entire system. It's been uh, funneled into Mexico yeah. through China who have a long-standing pretty hate pretty yeah. bad hatred of America and, and don't care what's happening no, in the streets and again, there. Again, they're after sanctioning a number of comp- companies in China again this week who are producing what is called the precursor to fentanyl, yeah. which is, you know, various chemicals that I mean, don't know about it enough to go into it. But they've, so they're again, they're sanctioning that. But yeah, the Sinaloa cartel this week, like it's an incredible kind we're of thing. We're off, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just going to, just going to stick with the coke. So you see, the Sinaloa amazingly like, you know, they all of this is political, by the way. Yeah. It is all political. Yeah. I mean, they go after these individuals yeah. and, you know, make a huge scene about it. I mean, this is why the war on drugs is so catastrophic, really. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be any real um sort of efforts to 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 tackle the, the problems like what I've talked about with the farmers yeah. in Colombia who are producing yeah. the coca leaves no efforts there for no efforts by people to kind of by other countries i mean we're all users of cocaine yeah. i mean and at the same time colombia has been left to deal with this situation yeah. themselves they can't they have said it before but there's no real effort there's a real effort to make a big showcase of the likes of Guzman's sons been brought to america mm. put on trial the likes of guzman himself been brought like guzman came was in court in brooklyn it was a huge show trial um you know, he was jailed for 75 million years or whatever it was. And the Sinaloa didn't bat an eyelid. No. Sure, it just kept operating. They're so big. They're so vast, these and organizations. Exactly. Now. And so does the Gulf clan after Otton Yell, who was the, you know, the biggest drug dealer since Pablo Escobar, as they described. But life goes on again. Yeah. And um, now you see fentanyl has become a political hot topic because Donald Trump is saying the Democrats are letting our country be destroyed by yeah. fentanyl and they don't yeah. care they're not able to do it so then something is done but is it the right thing um, and if you look at Colombia um, uh, like the size of the country is immense I mean it's a huge huge country with a lot of jungle they clearly don't have the ability that's why they're they're talking about these peace deals that sound so confusing yeah. and kind of counter almost undemocratic but that is the only way. They simply do not have the resources to police a jungle state like they do, and they never have done. Yeah. I mean, these things, these problems are going on decades. And I think, like, at the heart of it, and again, Toby Muse is living there and, and very, very up on it. I mean, he believes that the heart of it is this corruption that has, there's been a failure, repeated failure, whenever they do get any agreements, mm. repeated failure to follow through with what they promise because there's just corrupt government after corrupt government after corrupt government. And that has seeped in as well with that narco-terrorism. Yeah. And you see with this shipment, the MV Matthew, obviously with the, the you know, the record sh- shipment of cocaine seized off Cork, like how complicated it is um, in terms of policing this in the modern world. Um, if you go back, and I know some of these will be in your book, um, you had the guys bought the, the yachts with their own money, didn't they? Yeah. And they registered it and they... They they brought the cocaine off, and if they got caught, you yeah. know they, they they were they were in trouble. But the MV Matthew, I mean, they have 
the, it's registered in Dubai, which there's very little chance of anybody getting at those records. It's, you know, there's bits in China. The company registered in China, it's ship registered here, other ship in the Marshall Islands, all sorts of bits. Um, like it has its own website, the MV Matthew, which that was set up last year. Like it's it's like the ability of 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 these groups now to operate in that international way, uh, semi-legitimate, to register things, to, you know, move money around the globe through the banking system, the shadow banking system, Bitcoin. Like it's such a, uh, it's, it's yeah, a it's different world and really, really complicated for the, when start yeah, it all, it it? for the authorities to even, yeah. to get at those, some of those yeah. states and demand information. So, you and know. I mean, look, we're talking about 2.2 tons, the biggest cocaine seizure in the history of our state. And it is literally a tenth of what the group that we're talking about, the Clan del Golfo, are exporting every month. Yeah. And I mean, exactly. And I mean, there's, look, there'll be, there'll be ships at sea now in the, that'll be docking in the next week or two in Europe somewhere. And with the same amount of cocaine in, that'll get through. Um, and then there's multiple ways that they'd be also be bringing them in through legitimate cargo as well. You know, who knows what else. Which so, always brings you back to the question that uh, just, you know, why don't they just legalize it? Well, I mean, and of course we have had uh, some of that debate come to fruition this week in Ireland. Yeah. Um, not not a debate about legalization, a debate about decriminalization. Um, you know, a report that's, uh, you know, uh, the commission is likely to suggest decriminalization in Ireland. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Do you have a, a, well, the, an answer the, the about... The authority and uh, people in law enforcement are very against it. I mean, there's loads of different reasons for that. Obviously, it is a class A drug, right? Mm. So um, it's seen as being more harmful than some of the, the other recreational drugs, shall we call them? Yeah. Um, for it to be legalized, it has to be legalized everywhere, doesn't it? Because, no, I, I mean, mean it doesn't necessarily we, have well, to be. Well, if we like, legalized it, we'd have to go out and deal with the Colombian cartels, well, who it, are completely it, illegal <laughs> terrorist organizations. Yeah, no, we'd okay. have to go and buy it from them to sell it legally in this country. So it has to be sort of maybe a global agreement to legalize it or whatever. Um, and also the feeling of people on the ground, and I do think that there was a. Um, a submission given by Garda Síochána to the what is it called the Citizens Assembly? Yeah, is the it? Citizens Assembly yeah. on drug use. So it's basically it's a it's a body set up with various interested parties to come up with a report to suggest a route forward to government, really. And that um, presentation to the Citizens Assembly was given by like two of the most high ranking mm. Gardaí we have, who are so educated in this whole business of global drug trafficking, and you know, I suppose the damage it does. And it was Assistant Commissioner Justin Kelly and um, uh, Detective Chief Superintendent Seamus Boland gave the submissions. And I mean, they also believe that the drug dealers are always going to be there, even if you legitimize it, there will be a black economy. It's so embedded. And also that the whole drug landscape is changing so quickly. So we're all talking about cocaine now, Mm. right? Mm. I mean, we're mad about cocaine at the Mm. moment. We're all talking about it. But if you legalize that, something else will come on the scene. There's so many different, in particular, lab laboratory created uh, substances, mm. and so easily, so easy to make them, that there will always be a black market there. That I think there's a belief that 
all the sort of the bad guys, shall we call them, will just would just flood the legitimate economy and there'd be nothing legitimate about any of it. Yeah. It's certainly not simple. No, it's not simple. It, I mean, it I sounds sim- simple and it sounds very intelligent to mm. say we should just legalise it. This war on drugs isn't working. But it's just, it just doesn't, it's I mean, not I something suppose, that can happen like that. No, and the counter argument is like, what what has been achieved by what we're doing now? Like, is it working, I suppose, where if you were... A football manager, you'd say, is the, the the tactics we're playing is it producing a result? And I'm not. I'm actually don't know the answers. And I the have counter to say. counter argument yeah. for that would be coming again from the law enforcement mm. point of view. So they may may not look as if they're winning anything. No. But what would it be like without it? Well, we don't. What know, What would suppose, it be like without the fight against it? Because you look at places like Mexico and you look at places like Colombia and other areas that have simply become totally narco states. Of course, but of and course. is that what we're looking at if we, if we don't well, I mean, fight it? The argument it. will be that they're, they're, they're narco states because of, I'm not making this argument as such, but if their drugs are highly illegal in those countries, so it's, it's not necessarily equivalent. Look, I think we're, it's clear what's going to happen in terms of this, the Citizens' Assembly. They're going to make a suggestion that drugs are decriminalised for personal mm-hmm. for personal use and that they're treated as a health issue for that drug dealing would still be absolutely as illegal as ever but that a certain degree of personal use would become uh, of personal possession of drugs would become a health issue as opposed to a criminal justice issue and um, that that's you know we don't know they haven't made their uh, final submission but that seems to be the most likely outcome and before we leave that, I think the chair of the Citizens Assembly, Paul Reid. Paul Reid, yeah, from former HSC. Yeah. Uh, uh, he criticised actually the, the Garda submission yeah. and made some comments along the lines that, um, actually I have them here, he said, uh, on Garda Síochána were consistent and clear in their presentation to the Assembly opposing legalisation, he said, but they cheesed off members a lot in how they delivered them. It was felt they were using anecdotal evidence that didn't stand up. And that's why I was really just, you know, cementing yeah, who no, it was that yeah. gave but that. Think, because just, you don't have, I don't think, anybody more informed in the state, working in law enforcement in the state no, than those two. No, I mean, obviously, the, 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 there's community workers and they come from a different perspective and they're saying this is what they they believe is on the ground. And, but look, it like... I'm quite agnostic. I don't have a clue if it would make if it'll make things better. I mean, it like decriminalizing decriminalizing drugs. It's it's, it's going to free up the courts in some way. That's it's, what it's it, going to and do. And I mean, it should it should be. I think the thing about it is, it looks like it. I, I imagine it'll happen. You have people in addiction services who think that and and believe and actually campaigned and yeah. succeeded in having a, a a minimum amount put on the price of alcohol in this yeah. country because they believed that the cheaper alcohol was encouraging people to drink. Yeah. People working in addiction services are in the front line of the, you know, mm. the worst of it. But there re- so there's voices from everywhere coming in. There is voices in. and there's, there's, there's different voices. I mean, there's the harm reduction voice, which is that, you know, there's an acceptance that people are going to do drugs and that what you should really focus on is reducing the harm caused to them as individuals. There's obviously other voices that are, you know, seeking to stop people doing drugs at all. Yeah. And look, it's it's not, it's, 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 but look, change will happen. And, and like, we will that's then funny see, now because even on the marketing end of it, like, I mean, you know, marketing is obviously in there as well. Hmm. So how do you try and market, you know, an anti-drug taking strategy? Do you go for the, 
trying to alert people to the fact that to, to, to join these dots to connect their line of cocaine well, I don't, with, with Otunyel and his 12-year-old girls yeah. raping them in the jungles? Or do you go purely from a health-based perception? And that is how obviously all the addiction workers believe Forget about that. People will not make that connection. Yeah. It's too far away from them. Okay, let's take an example on the ground that somebody's shot dead in front of you or, you know, somebody shot dead in the north inner city or something. Can you make that connection? No, no, no. It has to be health. has to yeah. be health driven. Yeah. Um, and yet, then you think of young people and they just don't believe that the health thing is going to come no. and get them. So, well, I mean, whatever whatever campaigns we're doing, we're, we're not, no, people, we're not people are taking more it? drugs than ever. No, and that, it's like exactly You have to it. look at that bit of it. Like, yeah. You have to look at and say, are the things we're doing working? And I'm not saying something else will work way better, but, but they're not particularly working, I don't think, you know. Well, what are we doing? Well, I mean, I tell you what we're not doing. We're not funding. I haven't seen an ad on the television about cocaine use in I don't know how long. I haven't seen any sort of a government campaign against it. They will talk about it. They will talk about it the odd time, especially when you get a big, you know, they react as always to, you know, a big cocaine seizure to reports from Europe saying that we're some of the highest users in, in, in Europe. There, there'd be a bit of reaction to that, but there doesn't seem to have been a joined up strategy or any sort of a marketing. Well, I tell you what we're not doing. We're definitely not funding uh, people who need, who want help, who are in addiction and want help. If they go to a doctor and ask, can I be put somewhere or can I get treatment? It's not easy to get because mm. there's just not enough funding going into that. You can say that, that categorically. Oh, oh, 100%. But there's only a proportion of users of uh, drugs that are, you know, in, in addiction and need help. There's, there a, there's a huge amount of people. But we're not, we're not helping are, them though. No, we're not. And they definitely, I mean, but theirs is much more clear cut surely because yeah. they need a health led approach to yeah. addiction and they need a place and they need help to come off drugs or whatever it is yeah. they're, they're, they're addicted to and then to sort of reestablish themselves within the community. That is a really clear and obvious yeah. path to take. But the, that other cohort that are recreationally using the drugs, um, they don't need addiction services, no. mostly, but they need something to sort of, you know, wake them up to. Well, maybe. I mean, it's exactly, it's, see, this is, this. we've seen loads of different approaches across the world, uh, in Europe and, and in, in the US. And some of them have had great success, but certainly in Portugal, though, that's, there's seen a few disputed reports about decriminalization mm. there, but generally that's the model that's pointed to. But nothing has, uh, human beings mm. are still killing themselves through drug use. And, and there's still 6,000 militia pumping out, there's still you know, 6, 000, yeah. 20 tonnes of coke a month. Yeah. And so multiply that by 12. I'll give you that sum to do. So, what is it? 20 tonnes by 12? Uh, 20. 240. What? 20 by 12 is 240. Yeah. You sure you've said that out loud? Yeah, yeah, I am 100%. Okay, so that's 240 tonnes a year from yeah. the Clandal Gulf yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's and been pumped out of Colombia. Yeah, and, and it's as, as much as they can produce will be sold. That's the reality. Yeah. There's not, there's not, they're not going to produce too much. As much as they can produce will be sold. And yeah. that's the fact of life. And they're not the only country they're not producing the only, it. So not, you have Peru. Yeah, and they're not the know, only even cartelling. So I don't know. Um, but certainly that clan del Golfo is 
beyond a cartel or yeah. certainly my understanding of it is of, of what a cartel should be. There should be, to me, it's certainly not 6,000 members. I mean, where would you start with that? Well, I mean, the, the resources simply How aren't there. How do you there. dismantle but, that? Well, you can't. And that is why they're trying to do deals with them that, yeah. that, are, that are, are, you know, sort of dirty deals, for want of a better word. You know, they're trying they're, to do... They're, they're trying to bring them in and get them to basically disarm and lay down their mm. their uh, roots, their, yeah. their businesses. What are they going to offer them? Why are they... Like, what are they offering them? Six years in prison and four years with your victims' families working with them. Well, they probably get to keep some of the assets they've built up. They've, they get they, to keep their assets, yeah. yeah and they, they, d- they don't get 35, 40 years in prison no, is what no. they're... And they don't get sent to America no. where they get shoved into a supermax and forgotten. Exactly. You know, again... That Chapo story, the idea of him. Oh, can you imagine that living like that? Twenty-three. No, no money would pay me no. to spend a day like that, no. let alone the rest of my existence. Anyway, there we go. There we go. The clan del Golfo. Yeah, and a ship called Dignity. And a ship called Dignity, <laughs> <laughs> which was sailed up the west coast, which is which is villages a, and towns, which is a Deacon Blue to name yeah. of a Deacon Blue song. Poor if you're Deacon not, Blue. If you're I not... hope Ricky Ross isn't listening to you. All <laughs> I can say, poor man, he's not cool. Anyway, right. Well, let's um, let's sign off on that for today. Thanks, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.